Bibles this morning to the book of Job, Job chapter number one, Job chapter number one, Job chapter number one this morning, and we look forward to seeing what God has for us on this first Sunday of the new year. I'm going to preach this morning from Job chapter one, verse one, and uh, I am, I've been praying about what to preach this year, and there's a few, I explained some things in Sunday school that we're going to be doing this year. Uh, but uh, the Lord just keeps bringing me back to the book of Job and Job as a, as a, as a man and as a Christian. And the Lord has used Job uh, to teach me some things and to uh, show me some things and give me peace about some things in the last couple of months of my life. And so we're going to spend some time with Job this year. I'm not going to say that we're beginning a series today on the life of Job, uh, but uh, we're going to uh, be in the book of Job several times this year. I want to look at Job a little bit differently uh, in, in today, and certainly we'll look at him differently in the future as well than we normally do. Uh, Job chapter number one, and by the way, before I read, and this will be part of my introduction this morning, as soon as I said Job, something came to your mind you have something that you know about him. It's what we automatically think of when we think of Job. But I think we're, I'm afraid we've forgotten um, some things about Job. We've overlooked some things about Job uh, because we always think of the trial of Job. Um, but this morning, and I want to do this several times uh, through the course of as we, uh, the messages that we speak on Job, look at Job as the individual and Job as the man. Look at Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. If we were to continue reading, we would read, and we'll take some time in another message to look at the conversation as Satan enters into the presence of God and then what takes place, and Satan begins to wreak havoc on the life of Job. We know a lot about that. We know how God gives everything back to Job at the end of the story. But let's not forget how this whole story begins in verse number 1 of chapter 1. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. This morning my intention and my hope is to show us that the greatest thing about Job was not his trial. The greatest thing about Job was Job and the life that he lived and the life that he chose to live in giving honor and glory to his God. This morning, I want to preach on this subject, the city's greatest citizen, the city's greatest citizen. Father, help us today as we look into this verse of scripture, as we through the word of God, get a little bit of an insight about this man named Job, man that we've never met, but in so many ways we feel like we know because we identify with him. And Father, I pray that you would use the word of God today to help us. May the spirit of God speak to us. May we be convicted in areas that we need to be convicted today. And Father, once again, I pray that if there's a lost one who will uh, hear them preaching this morning, may they realize their need of salvation. And the greatest thing about Job that he was saved, that he looked to the Savior for his salvation. Now, Father, I pray that your will be done this morning, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When speaking of Job, it is usually about his trials 
and not him as the man. When I said turn to the book of Job, I'm certain that in many minds it was, well, we're going to talk about hardships and suffering and trials, and certainly you can't separate Job from those subjects. We must remember that there was a there was more to the man than his trial. In fact, I believe we do him a disservice, and we sometimes do ourselves a disservice when we just define him by his trials. Certainly, God has used the book of Job, I would dare say, if we've been in church any length of time, if we've been around the Word of God any length of time, that we could probably go back to a time in our life when God has used Job and his trial to encourage us to keep moving forward in our trial, to encourage us to keep our eyes on the Lord and realize that God has a greater purpose and to realize that God will sustain us and God has certainly used him in that capacity. And we, but Job, we're going to find out and discover and we look at the scripture today, find out that he was more than just his trial. We know because the scripture tells us that Satan targeted Job. We know why Satan targeted Job. We read of it in verse number one, our text this morning. We must consider the man. We must consider and look at him today. And we must consider who he was to learn from his trial. We see in the scripture, all we know is what the Bible tells us, of course. And the Bible begins this, this great chapter. And in the first few words, it just tells us there was a man in the land of us. Us. It's a strange name, sounds like a strange place. It was a city where the exact location was not, is not known, perhaps a desert place. Typically, it is associated with the area, the vicinity of Edom. We know a little bit about Job. We know he had wealth. Verse number three of this chapter gives us an idea of his wealth and the substance that he had. And Job was a wealthy man. Job was a very wealthy man. Job's wealth was such that he could not hide his wealth. Everybody else knew how much God had blessed them. He was noted, he was known, first of all, because he had great wealth. God tells us he had great wealth. We also know that Job had standing. He didn't just have substance, he had standing. Chapter 29 tells us that Job was a judge, or he sat in a place of judgment. He had standing in that city. The Bible tells us that there was a man. Of course, we know his name was Job, who lived in the land of Uz. He was a man who had wealth. He would have been known. He would have been somebody, if you will, because of the wealth that he had. We know that Job had standing. He did not achieve that position unless there was not a measure of trust, a measure of trust in his wisdom, a trust in his character, a trust in who he was. Job was a prominent citizen because of his wealth. He was a prominent citizen because of his position. But that is not, friend, this morning why I, I submit to you that he was the city's greatest citizen. I think, I'm afraid sometimes we live in a day where we look at somebody who has standing and we say, this is the favorite son of this city. Or if this is somebody who is, this city uh, claims this, this, this individual because of 
their fame and their wealth. Just a simple illustration. And not too long ago, I, I read a book about the presidency of, of Dwight Eisenhower. And I knew a little bit about him as the general uh, through World War II, but I didn't know a lot about his presidency. And I read about his presidency, and I was very intrigued by his presidency. And those of you can think back... <coughs> because uh, you would have been, been uh, around and voting during this time, but uh, he was known as the man from Abilene. Anybody remember that? Brother Farber remembers that. Uh, the, man, the man from Abilene, Abilene, Kansas. And not too long after I read this, I was with Brother Aaron Harrison, Junction City, Kansas, preaching for him, and, and it's not too far of a drive. And so we drove over to Abilene because I wanted to visit the presidential library there and you're not there's not a lot in Abilene there's not a lot to note about Abilene it's a place it's a dot on a map and there's the presidential library there and there are signs that remind everybody that that is where Dwight D. Eisenhower was from he was a prominent citizen certainly he was a president he was known, and the, and the city wants him to know that he was from there. There are prominent citizens, and sometimes we look at those that have wealth and those that have influence, and we look at them, and we make the mistake of replacing the word prominence with greatest. Job was not the greatest citizen because of his wealth or of his standing. Job was the greatest citizen because of what God thought of him, because of God's opinion of him. And I tie this together because God makes a point of pointing out where he lived. And then if you think about the conversation that Satan had with God going to and fro around the earth, now accusing the brethren, God brought Job up. Have you considered my servant Job? And I want us this morning to look at Job and be reminded that he was the greatest citizen, not because of who he was, but what he was. Can I tell you what we need in our country today is we need some people to be what God would consider great. There are too many that live in this world and they're trying to be prominent in a way that the world says they're prominent. Oh, let me get the American dream. And I thank God I live in the United States of America, a place of, of prosperity. Friend, just because you've got more dollar, you've got more zeros at the end of your name does not make you the greatest citizen. God still says, it's still in his book, that righteousness exalts a nation, not the number of millionaires. I thank God I live in a country of prominence and opportunity. But I'm afraid many times we as Christians, we get caught up in becoming prominent when we ought to become determined to become great in the eyes of God. I believe God can preserve a nation because of those with the character of a Job. I believe God can preserve a city, a town. You say, well, look what's going on in, in, in America. Look what's going on. It doesn't, I understand what's going on in our nation. I understand some of the things we're dealing with. But God's promises are still true, and God still honors that which he, blessed, which he approves of. And Job certainly was. Someone who, because of God's blessing, everybody around him received benefits of his blessing. I believe that God can bless one individual and the people in the home can receive the blessing. 
Pastor, I'm the only one in my home. Maybe you say, I'm the only one that wants to serve God. Well, you serve God because you ought to serve God. And you ought to encourage others around you to serve God. But God's blessings on you can affect your whole home. I believe it can affect a street, a neighborhood, a city, a country. But I want us to look at what God says about this city's greatest citizen, about Job and about his character. We see in verse number one, we see that there's a man. God identifies for us where he lived, and God gives us his name. His name is Job. God says four things about him. First, he says he was perfect. This does not mean that he never sinned. And the first thing I want us to see about Job this morning, this greatest citizen, is Job kept the close relationship with God. That word perfect is giving us a meaning of blameless. A meaning of he didn't, there was nothing between him and God. When God says that Job was perfect, he did not look at Job as a man that had never sinned. But as far as God was concerned, there was nothing in Job's life that was hindering their relationship. Meaning that when Job did sin, and we know that he went to the extreme of even offering sacrifices for his children just in case they were harboring something in their life. If a man would go to the point of making intercession on behalf of somebody else just in case there was something in their life between them and God, we can draw the conclusion very easily that Job was very meticulous about his own life and about his own relationship with God. And friend, there's, we live in a nation today that we say in God we trust, one nation under God. I would dare say the average person that, that is here this morning, the average person we meet in, in our job place, in society, believes there's a God. There are those who would say, I know that there's more that I should do for God, but what is it that keeps us from having a relationship with God? It is our sin. There's too much today in our world of people making an excuse of why they don't have a relationship with God that they should have. Friend, there's only one person to blame if you're not as close to God as you could be this morning, and that is you. You can't blame a parent. You can't blame a pastor. You can't blame somebody else. You can't blame society. You have a God who wants to have a relationship with you, and through Christ we can have a relationship with him Job, in order to keep a close relationship with God, now bear in mind, this is not what he said. There's a lot of people who go on social media and talk about how close they are with God. They may or they may not be, but this is God saying it. And by the way, this is a good reminder for all of us, it's more important what God thinks of us than anybody else. It's more important what God considers us to be, and God knows what's in our heart. God knows what's in our life. God knows how close we are to him. God knows the last time we talked to him. God knows if we're in, in, in the word of God, if we're living the word of God, if we're doing the word of God. God knows all of those things. Job worked very hard on what God knew about him. Job was not a perfect man. Job was not a sinless man. Job was a man who was flesh just like you and I was, are. But this means that he confessed his sin. You cannot confess your sin to God unless you're first willing to acknowledge your sin. 
This is a big problem we have in America. Nobody wants to acknowledge their own mistakes, their own failures. It's everybody else's fault. It's somebody else's problem. No, friend, sin in my life is my fault. It's my problem. Sin in your life is your fault. It's your problem. My mom and dad were too hard. My mom and dad were too soft. America's too free. America's too restrictive. No, friend, we have to be willing to look ourselves in the mirror and say, the sin problem that I have is my sin problem. I am a sinner. It is my flesh. And when I wrong God, I've got to be willing to confess it to him. We as Christians were so foolish. It's like, well, if I don't, if I don't if I acknowledge it, it's almost like it didn't happen. God knows it happened. God knows about it. Say, so, well, 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 my parents don't know. My pastor doesn't know. My wife doesn't know. My husband doesn't know. Nobody else knows. God does. And friend, I'm a pastor. I'm not a priest. I don't need you to confess your sins to me, but there's a God in heaven. If you want to be close to him, we are told that we must confess our sins to him. To confess our sins is to acknowledge that I wronged God. And quite frankly, this book reminds us the greatest danger we have, downfall we have, is our own pride. And our own pride wants to justify why we have violated God's law. Wants to justify why we have gone against the word of God. And friend, when you and I sin and when you and I are in sin, we have nobody to blame but us. But friend, let's be reminded, God knows our sin nature. He knows we're prone to fall. That's why he is eager for us to acknowledge it. He's eager for us to confess it. He's eager for us to ask for forgiveness. And that's why we're reminded over and over and over in the word of God that he is free with his forgiveness and free with his grace and free with his mercy. And, and, and somebody can be out of fellowship yesterday, but in fellowship today, just by a confession and acknowledgement, I have failed you, God. I've wronged you, God. I am acknowledging, I'm confessing it. Will you forgive me? Will you restore me? And in an instant, fellowship is restored. Job may have had some real failures in his life, but we don't know that because God considered him perfect. Sometimes we let the devil beat us up because of mistakes in our past, and maybe that's you this morning. Let me tell you, when you confess it and you acknowledge it to God, as far as God is concerned, it is under the blood. It's as if it never happened. And we look at Job and say, he must have grown up in Sunday school. He must have been one of those goody two-shoes. He may have been, but he may not have been. We will never know because from God's perspective, he was blameless. He was clean because he was willing to acknowledge and confess to him what he had done. Job kept a close relationship with God. Might I remind you this morning... The fact of the matter is that sin is the prevent, the prevention, the preventer of a close relationship with God. If you're not close to Him, if you don't feel close to Him, can I tell you what the problem is? It's sin. Amazing, we come to church and hear preaching on sin. It's amazing, isn't it? It's sin. Well, it's the pastor's fault, don't. No, it's not the pastor's fault. It, it's my fr- no, it's it's your fault. The devil made me do it. The devil gets blamed for a lot of things that we do ourselves. 
Now, I don't want to give the devil any credit either, but the truth of the matter is, a lot of times, we, it's, it, we, we're the problem. The closer you get to God, the more you realize your own wickedness. Job, I, I try and picture this man Job and everything that he had and knowing what God says about him in verse number one and knowing that he makes those sacrifices on behalf of his children. Later, at the end of the book, when God rebukes his friends, he, he even tells his friends, I don't, I'm going to accept the sacrifice from you. Job has a sacrifice for you. So he thought so much about Job's confession and Job's sacrifice. The closer you get to God, the more you're willing and you understand your own wickedness. I, I, I love coming to church. I love Sunday morning. I love still putting on our Sunday best. I, I love everything about that. I, I love church. church. And that's the way church, in my opinion, should be. But let's make no mistake. As nice as we all look this morning and as polite as we all were to one another, as much as we love being around one another, this room is just full of nothing but sinners. Praise the Lord, Pastor. I'm glad we're saved. I am too, and it's under the blood, but that doesn't mean that nobody sinned this past week. And the closer we get to God, the more we realize that we are sinners. Job was very aware. I need to make a sacrifice for my sins. I need to make a sacrifice for my children's sins because he got so close to God that he was reminded, so what did he do? He, he, was, in, he was constantly confessing the wrongs that he made. Let me ask you a question this morning, and only you can answer it. When's the last time you confessed your sins to God? I'm not talking about asking for salvation. Once you're saved, you're always saved. When's the last time you thought something, said something, did something that is contrary to what that Bible says that you ought to do, and the Spirit of God convicted you about it, but you did it anyway, or after you said it, you were convicted about it, or after you did it, you were convicted about it, and you stopped and said, Lord, I'm sorry. And you confessed it. You acknowledged it. Now, if you can't think of the last time you did that, now think of the last time you've sinned. Probably don't have to think very hard on that, do we? My point this morning is not to discourage us that we're sinners. We are that. But it's to remind us that we have a God that we, in spite of our sin nature, in spite of our sin, He wants to be close to us. We must want to be close to Him. And if we'll confess it, it's as if we never did it. What's a wonderful thing to be reminded about our salvation? Well, there's some people so wicked, God can... No, God can save anybody. The blood of Christ has no limits. God's forgiveness is one of the things that I'll never fully understand, but I'm certainly grateful for. And as a child of God, I can allow sin to come into my life, but if I can confess it, to confess it, though, I have to acknowledge it. And to confess it means I'm sorry for it. Might I say this morning, that's the reason why a lot of Christians aren't confessing their sin. They're not sorry for it. 
They like their sin more than they like God's opinion of them. I don't want to give it up. I like it too much. Well, it's hard to confess something you're not willing to acknowledge and give up, make a change. Well, let me tell you what would change our nation. Literally overnight. More, there's too many Christians, so many Christians. Oh, we need to, this political revolution. I, I think you ought to vote. I think, I, think you, I think you ought to vote right. But can I tell you, 2 Chronicles 7.14 is still in the Bible, and the part that always gets skipped over by Christians when they're talking about revival is the confession. If in our churches, just among saved people, there was an acknowledgement, I have wronged you in the way that I've lived, I have wronged you in the way that I've talked, I've wronged you, I've gone against your law in my life, and I am going to acknowledge it and confess it, and I'm going to say I'm, going to, I'm done with it, Boy, it's amazing. Overnight, our country would have revival. Overnight, our country could be restored with God. But we first must confess. This is not what, this is what this preacher is saying this morning, but I'm only pointing out what God said about Job. Now, I don't want, nobody wants to go through the trials that Job went through, but I sure would like for God's opinion in me to be the same as it is of Job in this respect. There's nothing between us. Well, what, I just feel like God's so far away. You have to ask yourself the question, why does he feel so far away? We see, second of all, Job lived the clean life. It ties in with what I've already said. God says, and that man was perfect and upright. That word upright speaks of honesty. Speaks of a just man speaks of a moral individual. You know, and it's easy for a man to claim to be a Christian. But my, I, say, I still think that it's good for every man but God's people to live clean, moral lives. Job lived a clean life. He had a moral code they lived by. You know, America used to be this way. Saved or lost. Church going or non-church going. There's a moral. It's sad today that Christians don't even live in a way that lost people used to live. Job decided that he was, God considered him upright, means he had a moral code. Might I use a word that some bristle at? Job had convictions. Society did not choose his convictions for him. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because I know what God's opinion of him was. God's opinion of him was probably different than many others. That's why, just quite frankly, that's why some of his friends came at him as hard as they did because it's like there's a chink in the armor. But God's opinion of him was that he was upright, he had convictions. Christian, can I tell you that we, you and I should have convictions about some things that we'll, we will not do? Things we don't say. Things, well, it's just so accepted in society today. And I'm afraid one of the, the great things, and parents, you need to be on to this, one of the great ways that our moral code is being eroded is through social media. 
It's a dangerous thing to just scroll through social media. Our moral, it's a society, because society is just getting to dump their language, their philosophy, their immorality, all of that in our minds and our hearts and erodes away. We need some people with some conviction that says, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to know about that. I don't want to be a part of that. Well, you're going to be on the outside of society. When it's all said and done, may the first chapter, the first verse of your life and my life be God's opinion that they have some conviction about them. They were upright. They were moral. They were just. They were decent. They had a moral code. There were things he would not do. You can't be, have convictions without separation. Boy, if you, today we live in just a matter of if you have convictions, you're on the outside. If you're, you have some conviction about something, the mob will come after you. You have conviction about something, the world is going to come to you and, and test that conviction. But maybe we have God's people who say, it does not matter to me what society thinks. I want God to know that I have some conviction about me. I want God to know there's some things I will or I, and I won't do. I want God to know there's some lines that I will never cross. And, and yes, certainly God gives us his word and we should obey that. But there ought to be a character about us that there's just some things that we're not going to have a part of. He lived a clean life. Boy, amazing. What would happen if Christians just lived the way Christians are supposed to live? Friend, let me remind you, and I can't get stuck here because there's a lot more. I guess I'm going to preach the whole, whole life today, the whole series today. But there's, there's, there's things. We're not of this world. My citizenship is in another country. My king is Jesus. My, my orders come from, from on high. That's the standard I'm supposed to live in. I don't get my convictions from this world. I don't, let, I don't let Hollywood, the NBA, the NFL, or anybody else tell me how I'm supposed to think and act and live. I have, I have a, the word of God that does that. And I want to set my convictions based on what would please God. Boy, if we would decide what we would do and say and how we would dress and the places we would go based on not how many likes we would get on social media, but by God's approval, what a change it would make in our lives. Number three, Job was conscious of God's commands. You didn't know there was so much in one verse, did you? God says about Job, that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God. You cannot fear God without being conscious of God's commands. You can't fear God without being conscious of what God has said, of what would make him upset. You used to hear, especially, you know, I guess, you know, especially in the South, you would hear, you would hear terms like, he's a God-fearing man. Well, that, that's a God-fearing individual. That's God, what does that mean? Well, there's just certain things that, He's not going to do it. It may not be whether he wants to do it or not, but he's a God-fearing man. One that feared God. What God is saying about Job and what this scripture is saying to us is that Job had a respect for his authority. 
There are some things, I don't care what the authorities of this world tells me to do, I have a greater respect for my authority. And when the two come in conflict, that's where I have a problem. But there's a respect for that authority. He did not want to disappoint God. Well, this is, this is a mindset that you and I must be reminded of. How, how many days go by and we don't even consider, did my actions disappoint God? Did these words disappoint God? Well, I, I just don't want to disappoint my mom and dad. That's good. You shouldn't want to disappoint. Young people shouldn't want to disappoint their mom and dad. I don't want to disappoint my pastor. Well, I, I appreciate, appreciate that. And you ought to have respect for the pastor God's place in your life. But let me tell you what will keep you straighter than any of that is I don't want to disappoint my God. Because one day you'll move out of your mom and dad's house. Hopefully. One day, you may, God may move you somewhere else, because I'm not going anywhere. God may move you somewhere else. You may have a different pastor, but if you're always fearing God, I don't want to disappoint my God. Well, I don't want to disappoint my friends. I don't want to disappoint my coworkers. What about being conscious of God's commands? Job, without a doubt, was blessed by God. Job feared God. He was aware of God's commands because he did not want to lose the blessings of God. I wish that I did everything I did just because I always had the right desires. Of the but my flesh limits me. Maybe yours doesn't. Mine does. But there's times when my flesh says, you know, you, should, you don't need to do that, or you probably should. But then there's a side of me that says, you know, God's been too good to me. God's blessed me. I don't want to lose those blessings. I want to keep those blessings. He, he had a fear. He was conscious of God's commands. And by the way, how can we be conscious of one thing? The devil has been so, and I, and I, and I, I want to keep us with the right mindset as we move forward. And I, I'm praying for the right way to, to teach this and, and talk about this in the right format. But the devil has done so many things in our country. And one of the things he has done through the generation is he's removed this book from our society. And how can we be conscious of the commands of God if we don't even know what they are? It is disgusting and blasphemous for members of Congress who stand for everything contrary of this book to try and invoke God's name. We don't even know the commands of God. And friend, let this be a challenge and reminder to you and I on the first Sunday of the year. You have an opportunity to get into this book and say, what does God think about this instead of what society thinks about this? What has God instructed me to do? We have to be aware of his commands. The only one way to be aware of it is know what he says. How are you going to know what he says? He's not going to write it in the clouds. He's not going to come to you in a vision. He's giving you a Bible. That's why it's important for you to read it every day. That's why you ought to be in Sunday school where the Word of God is taught. Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church. You ought to be around the Word of God as much as you can. You ought to be aware of it. That's why you ought to hide God's Word in your heart. You ought to memorize it. So that, hey, I, I shouldn't do that. 
or I should do that. Number four, and I've got to hasten. Job was careful of his associations. God says that man, he says, let me tell you about a man that lived in us whose name was Job. He was perfect. He was upright. He feared God and eschewed evil. Job was careful of his associations. When the, God says he eschewed evil, that word eschewed means he shunned. The pastor, how does that have anything to do with associations? Evil is not just some ether floating through the universe. Evil is an act. It's an act. People commit evil. Evil doesn't just fall on you. It's an act that comes from the heart. You cannot shun evil without shunning the act. You cannot shun the act without shunning the people who commit the act. And God would not say about Job, He didn't say He hated evil, no doubt Job did. He didn't say He was against evil, no doubt He did. He didn't say Job's not going to be involved in certain things. No doubt Job would not have been. He said he shunned it. There's a lot of Christians today who say, hey, I'm not for that, I'm against it, but we don't shun it. Say, I would never be caught doing that, but evil is an act that is committed by people. And Job was careful of his associations. I'm afraid we live in a day when everything that I'm talking about this morning, including this point, Christians don't take more than 30 seconds to ponder and think about. But his associations were on purpose. There were some things he was not going to be a part of or have anything to do with. In order to shun evil, you've got to stay away from those who are doing the evil. Well, I could preach an entire sermon on this this morning, but I'll just mention a few things. I'll I'll talk about some some big things this morning just just so that our mindset is right. Abortion is evil. you, You don't have to tell me, vote for this person or that person. Do they... Are they, do they represent evil? Hollywood is evil. It is vile. It is wicked. But yet many times, Hollywood is very comfortable in our Christian homes. Husband and wife model what they see on TV in their relationship. We let Hollywood dress our children. And by the way, it's hard for us as Christians to be upset and say there's, there's two genders, man and a woman, and that is correct. But yet we let Hollywood be pumped into our home. And Hollywood has done more evil in our nation than very few things. 
Alcohol has destroyed more homes and more lives than COVID ever has. I hear this, well, you're a COVID denier. No, I'm not. Sometimes I want to say, you're an alcohol denier. Well, it's my free, you know, I'm free to, you know, it's destroyed more homes, more lives. At least if somebody wants to go through all of these extra methods to protect themselves from a virus, they can. But there's sometimes you can't protect yourself from somebody who's not in their right mind coming across a lane, striking your vehicle and taking the life of everybody in there. But follow the science. But as a child of God, there's some associations I should not be with. I always have to include this now because the day we live in, you have to be careful with social, with social media. Uh, this is just me. I don't think a Christian should follow celebrities on social media. I don't think you should like their posts. I don't think you should do anything. I just don't think you should. Um, say, well, Pastor, that's your opinion. You're right. It is my opinion. And this morning, I'm not trying to share my opinion as much as I am trying to point out how God viewed Job. And my challenge this morning to all of us, myself as included, is why don't we raise our standard of living, our desire of living, to what Job's was. So that God might view our life as he viewed Job's. See, and understandably so, we do not want Job's trials. I, I, I don't want to use the word fool, but you may be a fool if you say, I want to go through what Job went through. No, I am going to use it. You're a fool if you say that. No, God may require that of you, but I'm not looking for it. And I'm afraid because God has made Job's trials and God's faithfulness through those trials and God's blessings after the trials so prominent, we many times have lost sight of the character and the caliber of a man and the opinion that God had of Job. And I don't understand all the reasons why God allowed Job to go through the suffering he did. But all I know is in verse number one, God said, there's a city named Uz. Let me tell you about a man that lived there. And his name was Job. And before we get into the conversation between myself and the adversary Satan and what Job goes through and how I purified Job and Job's miserable comforter of friends, before we even get to that, I want to establish in the first verse my opinion of this man, the life that this man lived. Friend, I don't want to go through the trials of Job might we set the standard of a life that I want to emulate, that I want to copy, is the life of Job. Friend, this morning, is there something between you and God in your relationship? When I say that's something, that something is sin. Might I urge you, might I compel you to confess that? It's not enough to just be aware of it. You need to get it right with God. 
You need to get your heart right with God. That's what the altar's for. Keep a short record. Say, Pastor, I haven't been out. Okay, but is there something in your heart, in your mind? Is there bitterness? Is there unforgiveness? Is, is, is there sins of the flesh that you participate? Get it right with Him. Keep a close relationship with God. Determine to live a clean life. Young people, it's still important that you determine to live a clean life. To our single adults, it's important that you determine to live a clean life. In this world, it's not just going to happen. If you don't determine it, you're not going to. You must determine to live a clean life. Be aware of His commands. And fear Him enough to obey them. It's kind of, it's not kind of, it's very difficult to participate in evil. It's a whole other study, but I'll mention it. God treats sin and evil much differently. Treats it much differently. With God, evil always gets retribution. Always gets retribution. It's, It's difficult to be caught up in evil if you're shunning it. And by the way, a great form of evil, we get a lot of amens with the abortion in Hollywood. But oh, God lumps gossip and slander right there with evil. God's word teaches there will be retribution. You say, I'll never go out in the world and do all those things, but you'll run down another brother and sister in Christ. That is evil. And friend, when that happens, you ought to shun it. There are are people that I'm not even cordial to because they are a gossip. You've got to be nice. No, I'm going to eschew evil. I'm going to shun it. Why don't we determine, say, well, I I don't want to be prominent. I want to be a social media influencer. Why don't we be concerned about God's opinion? What's God's opinion? Because one day, we're going to give an account, and it's not going to be so-and-so had so many Twitter followers, and this is so-and-so, and some angel reading, had so many likes on Facebook, and oh, he hit, she hit influencer status on Instagram, and no, it ain't going to be any of that. Sadly, all those people Christians pander to, they're not going to be there. It's just going to be God's opinion about your life. Job was not perfect in the sense that sometimes we think of perfection. He was perfect in the sense that he kept a very short record with God. And when he sinned, he made it right. As far as God was concerned, it never happened. I don't know what you're dealing with, what burden you came in with, but you can confess it to him this morning. And there's a God in heaven who will forgive, forgive, forgive. I don't know what you need this morning, but I can tell you there's a pastor here, there's a church here that you can be restored. You can still serve God. And you can be sitting here and you can say, I never miss a service. I never, and I'm in, okay, but what are you hiding in your heart? Nobody else may be aware of it, but God's aware of it. Maybe look at God's opinion. Who's the greatest citizen in Jacksonville, Florida.
I didn't ask who the most prominent was. Just going out on a limb, it's probably not somebody who desecrates the Lord's day on a football field. Who is it? It's the person who God has the best opinion of. Let's determine that. Well, I don't think I could ever be the greatest citizen of Jacksonville. Could you be the greatest citizen in your neighborhood by God's standards? I don't know. How about your street? And if that's still a stretch, maybe your house. If your house is still a stretch, maybe there's a closet, you can say. The point is this morning, let's, let's be accountable to God. Father, use your word this morning. May the Spirit of God 